Welcome to Podcats, bringing me eye to your ear. On this episode, we explore the efforts of the Kino Border Initiative, an organization founded to aid the humanitarian crisis on the United States-Mexico border. Last spring break, we sent down some students and teachers to Mexico to help with the Kino Border Initiative. It is an effort to, in their words, help make humane, just, workable migration between the United States and Mexico a reality. But why would they need to help create humane border crossing? Why does the Kino Border Initiative treat this like it's a humanitarian crisis? The students started their trip in Phoenix. Uh, my name is Alex DeWitt. I'm a Jesuit novice, a second-year Jesuit novice on long experiment at St. Ignatius High School in Cleveland. I'm a graduate of the high school as well, class of 2012. Uh, this past semester, I had the opportunity with our campus ministry department and the Father Gaffney Mission Fund uh, to take eight guys, eight juniors, uh, down to the U.S.-Mexico border in Nogales, Arizona, along with two other teachers, Mike Strauss and Tony Krzmarczyk. While we were down there, we began by flying to Phoenix, and then from Phoenix, we went to Tucson and Nogales. While we were in Tucson, we had the opportunity to see a mission, uh, St. Xavier Mission, which was established uh, by Father Kino, who the Kino Border Initiative is named after. Once we were down in Nogales, we stayed at the Jesuit residence on the U.S. side of the border. So there's Nogales, Arizona, and there's Nogales, Sonora, Mexico. Same name for the town, but it straddles the border on both sides. And back in the day when the border was uh, less militarized, you could freely cross back and forth. It was actually a, bo- a town that straddled the border. And so you, when you were living there, you really didn't notice the difference between Mexico and the United States. So when, once we got to Nog- uh, Nogales, before we even moved into the Jesuit residence, uh, we, we took the guys down to the, the fence. We took them down to the border wall in downtown Nogales. And they had the opportunity to stand on the U.S. side and look through the fence. Sam Hogue, one of the students that went on the trip. It was a very kind of base reaction of like, this seems wrong to have this giant fence, however many feet high, with steel bars looking through. And uh, It's almost like looking through a portal into another dimension because there is such a divide of, of wealth and culture between the two sides. But yet there's also a lot that's very similar. Another thing I saw is when we were on the Mexican side, we were like driving along the border, and we saw this family that was having a picnic through the fence. So there was like two members of the family that were on the U.S. side, and another number member of the family on the Mexican side, and they're like sharing food together. And so, thinking about that, how this wall is separating this family essentially, it's just it's wrong. It doesn't seem okay to me. Uh, so it was. It was a little bit jarring, I think, for the guys to first see that, and I think that's when they first realized, okay, this is this is real. We're not we're not really on vacation. We're on a mission trip, uh, and we're seeing something that is completely different from anything we've seen before. Many of our days were spent working in the comedor, which means uh, the the dining room, literally, but the, the soup kitchen that is run by uh, Las Hermanas de la Eucaristia um, in Mexico, uh, the Sisters of the Eucharist, and the Jesuits uh, on, the U- on the Mexico side. So literally when you cross the border into Mexico, um, right there by the port of entry is the, is the Kino Border Initiative. What usually happens when we're at the Comedor is that the migrants are invited in to eat, and then there are services that are provided to them, legal services, health services, etc., clothing, you name it, they've got it. 
And so in order to lessen the chaos in this very small room that's, that's used as the comedor, they ask all the migrants after they eat to go line up outside and then they're called in individually to receive services. So a, a lot of the storytelling happened in this line outside of the comedor. At the comedor, we met a guy named Alex. That's Sam Pike, another student that went on the trip. Alex lived in Las Vegas. He did cross illegally in the early 90s. Lived in Las Vegas for over 20 years with his wife and seven kids. Oldest is in the 20s and the youngest is about three. Alex fell behind on one tax payment and um, that's when the U.S. caught him for being here illegally and uh, he was deported immediately so left his wife and seven kids without really a source of income. At the Commodore that morning, that was the uh, morning he got deported. He walked basically from the border where he got deported straight to the Commodore and he was distraught and trying to figure out what to do next. In El Comedor, I met a guy named Luis, and he had been living in the United States for a long time, and the thing that stuck out most to me about him is when we were getting to know him, he told us that he used to live in Salt Lake City, and one of his favorite things to do was shovel snow, and he wanted to go back to the United States so that he could shovel snow, and that was very impactful to me, thinking about how like shoveling snow is like this chore that I hate doing, versus... This immigrant who just wants to come to the United States and shovel snow for a living. We met one man. His name was Luis. Uh, Luis is originally from Honduras. Uh, he has two daughters down there. One is, I believe, uh, 12 and the other is 9. Um, I could be wrong on the ages there. And he has a wife back in uh, Honduras as well. Uh, originally, he crossed the border and went to Salt Lake City. He worked in Salt Lake City, uh, but he got involved with gangs, he got involved with drugs, and eventually was arrested and deported back to Honduras. Uh, he tried then to cross again, uh, but by the time he got across the border, he was caught crossing and deported again. Luis expressed how disappointed he was in himself that he allowed his his mistakes uh, in Salt Lake City to get him into trouble that then jeopardized his situation. And he, he said he talked so much about how he's a changed man. And usually when someone talks about how they've changed entirely, you might be a little bit skeptical, but you could see it in his eyes and in the way he carried himself that he was different than what he was before, than the way he was before. And uh, he was looking for a second chance and he was just not getting it. Well, he was very, very much trying to cross back um, because he wanted to support his daughters and his wife down in Honduras who were living in abject poverty and had no other alternatives. Um, well, anyways, uh, Luis has a very active faith life. Uh, he's, he's very, he has a very strong knowledge of scripture, especially the New Testament. And so while we were talking, he pulled out his, po his pocket New Testament and uh, he asked me to translate several passages that he, he said were his favorite. Um, Biblical Spanish is just as uh, confusing as uh, Biblical English, so it was a little difficult for me, um, but I could get the gist of it occasionally. And uh, the guys were often very impacted um, by the passages that Luis chose. One of them is uh, a passage from Philippians that says, I can do all things through God who gives me strength. Um, what a wonderful passage. And Luis pointed out saying, he's like, I'm not afraid. He's like, I'm not afraid of the struggles and the, and the, the, the trials and the um, everything required with going across the border to try to, to secure a better life for my family. I'm not afraid because I've got God with me and I can do all things through him who gives me strength. 
what a beautiful mentality. And you could see the way in which this impacted the students and as they were listening to Luis. This is Ian Flynn. I'm a senior at St. Ignatius, one of the um, sort of core members on the Kino Cats Club. We were helping out at the Comador in which we were serving food to men and women that were recently deported. Most of them were men. There were probably three women there. But then something caught my eye as a teenager walked into the Comador and we met eyes and Father Pete, who was helping us, just taking us everywhere down there. He introduced me to Mario, who happened to be my same age. And although we couldn't have a one-on-one conversation, Father Pete translated everything from that lunch that we had together. And at first, Mario didn't believe that I was 17. He, he thought I was like 21 or 22, so he was a bit skeptical of who I was. And as we sat down to eat, he told us his story about what happened to him and how he ended up back in Mexico. And his original story was that he and his brother were up living in New York. And I believe he said they got in some car accident or there was some incident with their headlights or something. They'd been pulled over and then they didn't have the legal documents. They'd been deported. And that was a lie he had told us because he didn't believe who we were at the beginning. He thought we were some government agency trying to find out answers. So that was his like fake backstory that he had. It was actually a pretty brilliant story. It was not simple. There were very many facets to it. Um, but he told us later as he trusted us what his true story was. And that started with Mario and his brother, along with about 15 or other men and women who were trying to cross the border illegally. And they were taken across with drug dealers who are called coyotes. And the deal with crossing the border is that the coyotes will take you across the border as long as you smuggle drugs. So as they set out for the journey, a lot of them had waters because it's about a three-day journey. So they have waters, food, they have equipment, they wear slippers over their shoes so their tracks they hid him and he told this horrific story in which father pete translated to us as best as he could and mario told the story that as they were trekking across the desert some men had heavier loads to carry than others and one man who he didn't know personally but was in his group was too tired to carry his water because he had like three jug three or four jugs of water on a stick over his back or something like that and as he told the coyote that he was too tired to carry the water and he couldn't go on the coyote came over with a machete and slaughtered him before the eyes of every member in the group. And Mario told us this, very emotional, with hand gestures, and he was just, like, so emotional about everything that he was saying because it was so real to him, and this had happened to him just a few days before we had met him. So this was all very fresh to his memory. And he said that he and his brother were thinking about dropping back from the group before that incident and trying to tell the coyote that they weren't fit to continue, that... Because they weren't they weren't ready to go on, but after they saw this man get killed right before their very eyes, they realized they needed to just continue the journey and do whatever it took to get to America. And he said that things only got worse from there. It was very hot in the desert, and everyone was very tired and hungry. And someone dropped some of the waters, so they lost a lot of fluids for the journey. And the way they traveled in the desert is they would. Tr- kind of stay near ditches that way if a helicopter or border patrol came by they could all hide together and that worked pretty well until they neared the end of the journey but before this happened they said they'd actually met um the receptors of the drugs on the american half of the soil and a bunch of cars came up to receive the drugs and they had successfully given the drugs to the american side of the cartel and then they had just all been left in the desert and the coyotes had been picked up by the cars and all the other 
other Mexican people trying to immigrate had just been left in the desert with no idea where to go because the coyotes had everything about directions. So they were all left in the desert with pretty much no supplies left and anything. So they were all just abandoned out there. And they said quickly after that, there was a Border Patrol helicopter that swooped over them. And the tactics used by the Border Patrol is that they fly the helicopter pretty close right above the group of people in the desert. That way the dust collects and flies up into their eyes. They're temporarily blinded and they can't see anything. And then they swoop down and gather them up. So that was Mario's story to us that he was telling. Just several days before we had met him. So this was all very fresh to him. And he was getting super emotional because he had really, he, he seemed pretty optimistic about going to America because he wanted to flee the violence in his hometown. But unfortunately, because of the coyotes and drug cartels, um, sort of taking advantage of them, they were stuck in the desert and they weren't able to successfully make it to America. This story is from Mr. Strauss, one of the adult leaders on the trip. Have a person here, you know, Victor, who was brought here when he was five or six, you know, grew up in America, got married, has two children, worked a job, you know, seems like a good person, good citizen. His father still was back in Mexico. Victor heard that his father died, so he went back down to Mexico to bury his father. Now he can't get back across to his wife and his two children. He's stuck in Mexico because he's undocumented. Another story is a, a man named Alejandro. Um, Alejandro loved to talk, and so we heard all about his story. Uh, initially, he was in the United States on a work visa, so he was there legally. And he ran into some bad luck with uh, work. He lost his job, never said why, but he lost his job and was trying to make ends meet and just couldn't do it. He was living in a hotel, and he was paying money out the nose, and he was, he was down to the last cent. And uh, he met someone who said, you have a truck. Well, if you take your pickup truck and deliver this TV to this house, then we will uh, pay you for it. We'll pay you $500 for it. And he's like, that's awesome. I'll, I'll do that. So he puts the TV in his truck and he drives to a house. And when he gets there, he sees that there are, this, this house is in the middle of nowhere. He gets there, he sees that there are a bunch of undocumented migrants who are being shepherded along by the coyotes who are the gang that it turns out that Alejandro was being hired by. He didn't know it was a gang. Um, and so they force Alejandro to load all of these migrants into his truck and to shepherd them across the border. Uh, well, Alejandro gets to a ranch out in the Native American territory, and there's a barrier there, and he tries to run it with his truck, but his truck ends up getting stopped by this barrier. Um, and then he is found by Border Patrol, uh, all the migrants are taken into custody, and Alejandro is deported because he is accused of shepherding uh, undocumented immigrants. And so someone who is there legally, who is trying to do honest work, uh, was taken advantage of and then lost his, his status as a result. I'm Wim Nigro. I'm a senior in St. Ignatius, and I will be accounting the story of Yesenia. Um, last year, uh, in 2017, I made or I went to the border trip through St. Ignatius down to the Kino border, and one of the stories I encountered that was very, very powerful to me was the story of Yesenia, which we heard uh, in Tucson, Arizona. So we journeyed with Joanna Williams, uh, um, one of the educational directors at uh, Kino Border Initiative, and she took us down to Yesenia's house. We kind of told her story. So um, Yesenia fled from El Salvador from violence. Uh, Yesenia is part of the LBGT community, and that part of um, El Salvador is very, very difficult time to be that sexual orientation. 
and she was actually, um, Yesenia was taken advantage of, raped, and actually had a child. So Yesenia fled El Salvador in hopes to seek a safe place in America, even leaving behind her um, daughter. So when Yesenia traveled up through the border, she successfully got a green card, and she made her way um, into Tucson, where she was awaiting a jury date. However, Yesenia's travels was not without any danger. The man who got her across was even slaughtered by the coyotes, which is just crazy to think about. And so when Yusinia was telling us her story, many years had passed since she first fled, and now her daughter is 16 years old. So we heard the story of one woman who, uh, you know, just to keep her story uh, anonymous, I'll refer to her as Maria. Well, Maria lived in southern Mexico, uh, eventually made it up to the United States, met an American man, had a daughter. And at one point, Maria decided that it was uh, the best idea for both her and her daughter to move back to her native town in southern Mexico. So she took her daughter down with her. And at around the age of when her daughter was about nine years old, it became clear to Maria that something was not right in the uh, in the town. A lot of people were beginning to ostracize her or to keep their distance from her. And one night, the gang that was running the town, uh, one of the gang members was sympathetic to Maria and, and called her up and said, you need to leave immediately because the gang is going to kidnap your daughter. And this is actually very common in Mexico. Uh, kidnapping women is a very easy, especially young girls, is an easy way for them to make money and, and support their efforts. So Maria grabbed her daughter, grabbed all of her stuff and fled in the middle of the night uh, and had nowhere to go to really escape this gang. So naturally, she tries to go back up to the United States. Uh, her daughter's an American citizen, so she was going to have her daughter cross the border and meet back up with her father, who was still in the U.S. Uh, so eventually she reaches the border and uh, sets her daughter off on her own to cross the border at a checkpoint in Tijuana. Uh, and San Diego on the U.S. side. She sends her daughter across the border, but before she says goodbye, her daughter says, I can't live in the United States without you, Mommy. You can't, you can't leave me alone. You, I, I, need, I, I won't be able to survive without you. And as for any mother, obviously, this broke Maria's heart. So she sends her daughter across the border and tells her that she's going to find some way of, of getting back with her. And keep in mind, Maria is not a U.S. citizen. So the only option for her to cross is to go over illegally. And so eventually she hires out uh, coyotes, uh, these uh, men who shepherd um, undocumented migrants across the border. And uh, eventually she manages to scale the wall. It's becoming increasingly more common that migrants won't run the risk of going out and to the desert where there is no wall because of how fatal the desert can be. So she tried to scale the wall and as she got right over, they said run and immediately she ran right into the arms of the border patrol and was taken into custody and was sent back to Mexico where she eventually found her way to the Kino border women's shelter, Casa Nazaret. So this is a pretty common story. A lot of separated families because of the border issue. It plays into family life in the United States more often than we like to think it does. So it was a good experience for our guys to see how exactly border issues impact uh, our larger society, not just these individuals themselves or people in Mexico or Mexico itself, but it impacts us just as much. What's clear when you listen to these stories is that the rights of innocent people are being violated. People are forced into terrible situations where their human dignity is taken away from them. Next time on Podcats, we continue to uncover the crisis on the Mexican border. We talk with the group who went on the trip and listen to their take on the issues surrounding our border. Thanks for listening. Got any suggestions? Let us know on Twitter at S-I-H-S-E-Y-E. See you next time on Podcats.